When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Court Today replay on C103. We've had a lot of talk on the programme across this week, certainly, but over the last number of weeks that there just isn't enough compliance when it comes to COVID restrictions, particularly when it comes to people checking for the COVID cert and are people wearing masks where they're meant to be wearing masks? Well, uh, it seems health inspectors are going to be blitzing pubs and restaurants over this bank holiday weekend and it's part of a fresh drive to try to ramp up the compliance with COVID-19 rules amid mounting concerns over a lack of compliance in some sectors of the industry with some uh, that's failing completely to check COVID vaccination certs officials will be calling into pubs and restaurants to ensure that they are being compliant because figures that came out from the HSE this week show that only 5,261 checks were carried out now that's out of tens of thousands of hospitality businesses since July but even of that just over 5,000 that did get a cheque from a health inspector. Uh, nearly a third were non-compliant or at least they were in need of improved safety measures. So they're putting bar owners and restaurants and cafes and gastropubs, they're putting them all on high alert that there will be health inspectors out and about this coming weekend. And of course, we had our first Neffet briefing in quite some time. It was August was the last time that we had one of those press briefings from Neffet uh, yesterday. A lot of it wasn't the kind of news that we really wanted to hear, even though a lot of it was what we expected because we know We've had a rising number of infections and COVID-19 passes. Now, according to uh, what's in the papers today, reporting from that NEFIT briefing yesterday, COVID passes could be compulsory if you want to visit a loved one in a hospital or if you want to go see an elderly relative in a nursing home. And that's obviously amid the fears that the latest surge in infections could lead to a rise in deaths and obviously pose a dire threat to the health uh, service. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. How would you feel about having to present your COVID certificate to prove that you were vaccinated before you'd be allowed into a hospital or before you would be allowed into a uh, nursing home? And obviously Neffet yesterday painting a rather stark picture 
of another winter fighting uh, COVID-19. That's what very much came out from that press briefing yesterday. Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Hula and he's just back from a little bit of a break. Uh, he started back to work on, on Monday. He was talking about people visiting hospitals and nursing homes and he was the one that's saying, look, we may need to seriously look at them and being asked to show their COVID-19 passes. He says, uh, he said, it seems entirely sensible to him that if you need to gain entry to a nightclub, uh, you've got to show your COVID cert. He says, therefore, if you want to go to a visit to a hospital or a nursing home, given the vulnerabilities of the people you're going in to visit, he feels, and it should be the very same. If we're asking people to present a COVID passport to go in and have a cup of coffee or to go into a restaurant, then why shouldn't the same rules apply to a nursing home or a hospital? And by all accounts, according to Dr Tony Hulhan, it is what is in place in other countries, so it wouldn't be something that we would be the outlier on or the only country uh, doing, uh, doing it. The HSE are now looking at how this would operate and what exceptions might likely need to be made. I mean, the obvious one that you think about uh, first time, that you know, the very first thing you would think of is, what if it's end of life care? You can't really be arguing with somebody at the door of a nursing home if a mother or a father, much loved family member is dying and they don't have a COVID cert. So I think there, were, there certainly probably will have to be some ex- exceptions uh, put into it. But regarding nursing homes, Tony Houlihan said people's access to a loved one was important to their general life experience. But he says there was a need to be sensitive to what is being brought in with these new rules, but it may be necessary in this time of significant transmission. I mean, the whole idea is to keep everybody, particularly in nursing homes, to keep them as safe as possible possible. Daily cases continuing to rise. Yesterday again we had another day where it was over 2,000 2,148 and of course Neffet now are reporting the COVID related deaths. We only only get them once a week. We don't get them any day every day anymore and yesterday's figures was 63 so that again is and Neffet are saying that that figure of the number of people dying from COVID they are expecting that to rise again. They say a number of drives are behind the worsening situation including the Delta variant but also there is a growing level of social mixing. The worsening situation comes despite the high level of vaccination take-up that we have in this country but Nefis said there were still serious gaps in vaccination in some age groups so they gave quite a bit of detail yesterday on it. I mean they were talking about the fact we know there's about three 350,000 people now that are still not vaccinated. There's the group, the the 300,000 odd themselves who have never been received a vaccine. And then there was 70,000 who had received one vaccine but haven't, haven't come back for the second. So they're still deemed vaccinated. So we were at 370,000. Now about 20,000 have come off that. So that's a step in the right uh, direction. But there are still around 350,000 people not vaccinated. But when you look down at the age groups that are not vaccinated, one in five are in the 18 to 30 year olds and then there's also 40% of the 12 to 15 year olds who are still not uh, va- still not vaccinated. The vaccination continues to be a major shield in protecting people from the virus from getting seriously ill and vaccines they reckon have stopped around 1700 possible deaths in this country since June. So we know that vaccinations work they stop you getting very sick. 
and the big one is to stop people from dying. So at least 1,700 lives have been saved because of the high take-up in vaccine in this uh, uh, country. Professor Philip Nolan is appealing to people to renew their commitment to public health measures. He added that the vulnerable people and the over 60s, now this was was one of the big talking points from yesterday. He said the over 60s really need to start minimising discretionary social contacts. They're not saying the people should cocoon, but they're saying people need over the age of 60, they need to start looking at the number of people that they're meeting every week and cut down on those social contacts. A key message is that anyone who has possible symptoms, please stay at home, please go forward for a test. Now, Dr Tony Houlihan was asked in particular yesterday about the opening up of nightclubs and how he felt about the opening up of nightclubs. And he said that it is a matter for those who know how how these are run to draw up the best measures to reduce the risk from COVID-19. He was commenting then on the use of the COVID passes in the hospitality and entertainment venues and he said we know that we have between he says a quarter and a third of bars and restaurants that are simply not checking the COVID passes but then he said we have many restaurants and bars that have been and he said they deserve credit for that and he said because those, the ones who have religiously stuck to the rules and asked people for their COVID certificates and made sure that the COVID certificate belonged to the person in whose hand it was in. Uh, He said, you know, they have helped in limiting transmission and they have helped with the risk to the public and of course he said they're also looking after their own staff and he said they deserve credit for that and they do and that's why when people have been contacting us saying oh I was in a cafe I was in a bar and they're not uh, checking you know we have to remember the ones that are checking and the ones are doing it and only during the week we had one listener who works in a gastro bar and uh, she contacted us to say, look, we're really good at at checking every strange person that comes in. They can ask for their COVID certificate. But she made the point that about 75% of their trade every day are their regular customers who they know because they've checked when they opened up in June. They've checked for their COVID certs so they don't need to be checking those every day. But they, she said anyone that they don't know gets asked for the COVID cert and they check to make sure that you know they've got photo ID uh, as well. Dr Tony Houlihan then on schools repeated that the risk of transmission in schools still very low. Now he did refer to some recent outbreaks but he said that they were in the main there were activities outside of schools that played a very important role in transmission and when contact tracing has taken place because a school child gets COVID-19 it turns out in certainly in the last number of weeks there was a number of communions and confirmations and parties associated with it and birthday parties and it was it seemed it seemed to be at those events that the COVID-19 was passed on. So it does still look like the schools are a low risk of transmission. Now, Tony Hoolan said that's not to say that there's a zero risk inside in a classroom. But he says, we think the risk is low in relative terms compared with transmission in other settings and out in the community. However, the rise in COVID cases has raised anxiety levels within education settings. And we saw, of course, the school in Wexford close this week, even though they were forced by the Department of Education to reopen. They had closed at the weekend and they were, they were going to remain closed for this week week and obviously across next week for midterm and not reopen until after the midterm on November 1st but Department of Ed stepped in and they had to reopen their doors um, uh, yesterday but the one thing I thought sort of I got a slightly wry smile and said that's an interesting point the fact that we found out 
that the COVID passes were going to be needed for the winter and certainly it looks like now they're going to be in place on, until at least the spring. I was wondering, would that prompt people to go forward and get the vaccine? Because there was the belief that from tomorrow the COVID passes would suddenly not be needed anymore and anyone vaccinated or unvaccinated could go inside in any indoor set, setting. But then, of course, COVID decided to do what COVID do, does best and the numbers started to rise. So the decision was made that no COVID passes remain in place. And I was thinking for younger people who have, particularly those ones in that age group from 18 to 30, the one in five in that age group, they're the age group mo- will most want to be going to nightclubs and will most want to be out and about this bank holiday uh, week so that one in five was thinking, I wonder how many of those will go forward now for a vaccine lo and behold wasn't there queues outside a pop-up vaccination clinic in Trinity College yesterday and it, according to the director of the college's health uh, service they said about 500 people turned up yesterday just yesterday alone to get a vaccine jab and they said it was a significant uh, jump and half of those who turned up were looking for a jab for the very first time so I wonder Uh, when they were for people and people don't get the vaccine for a variety of different reasons but I wonder for those that group of young people attending Trinity College and other young people who would have gone forward for their first jab was it the fact that they wanted to get their COVID cert or they're going to have a very lonely a very lonely winter because all of their friends will be going out and they won't be. 1850 Just one quick text in on this. Uh, this is to do with nightclubs. I think, says this text, no name on this. I think Micheál Martin Patricia has lost all sense and reasoning uh, and how he thinks he is applying common sense to the situation by opening nightclubs is beyond me. And those young people, mostly then going home, perhaps to vulnerable parents, many of those parents in the over 60 age group who've now been told to limit their social contact contacts. He's adding fuel to the COVID fire, not applying common sense and I think it is very dangerous nonsense to be opening nightclubs with the current high numbers of COVID cases that we have at the moment. That's by tech number of your texts coming in and I'm in, well I do, do, this doesn't really surprise me when I mentioned that what had been announced yesterday as part of the Neffert briefing and this suggestion that COVID-19 passes could be made compulsory for people who want to visit patients in hospitals or if you want to visit loved ones in uh, nursing homes. The whole idea is to try to keep everybody inside in the hospital and everybody inside in the nursing home safe, both the patient and obviously the staff need to be kept safe uh, as well and they're now looking at saying if it's compulsory to get into a nightclub you've got to have your COVID search then you should have a COVID search to get into a hospital and a nursing home as well and so far that's not to say that that'll change as the morning goes on but so far everybody seems to be in totally uh, totally in agreement with it some of your texts in Hi uh, Trish I think it's a really great idea uh, to be asked for your COVID search going into nursing homes it seems only fair if you need them to get into hospitality then you should be asked for them if you're going into a, a, a nursing home somebody else says of course Patricia a vaccine search should be presented on entering a hospital or a nursing home. 
Also, I've always had a problem with people who always have to go to visit neighbours when they hear they're in hospital. These visitors go all over the hospital just being nosy to see who's in there. They're the same people who'd never visit the neighbours when they'd be out normally, when they'd be at home. Suddenly they're in hospital and the neighbours come out of the woodwork and want to go see them when they're in hospital just to have a good nose around to see who else is in hospital. Do people actually do that? Do people actually do that? Go into a hospital for a nose around to see who else is in. Hi Patricia, thank you for your text. Hi Patricia, this is by WhatsApp. Totally agree that people in general with very few exceptions should have a COVID pass to visit patients in a hospital or in a nursing home. It makes full sense to me. Especially if the staff and the patients are to be allowed the respect and the safety they deserve. They also, they're, they're, this also has a knock-on effect on keeping down COVID numbers in hospitals and patient waiting lists which often seems to be forgotten about. Thank you for that. And morning, this is John. Uh, morning, Patricia. Where were they for the last few months when the cases were high? The government, oh, this is Neffet because Neffet haven't had, well, they haven't did a press briefing since August. Uh, so John's questioning where they were when the numbers were uh, rising. The government got it wrong. Again, every place you go into, chemist, butchers, etc. Everyone should be asked if they have a COVID certificate. By the way, I was asked for my COVID certificate in Supermax last weekend. Nightclub owners John reckons are not going to check every single person that comes through the doors and he feels RIP Christmas that we're not going to have a Christmas this year. Oh, hopefully. Hopefully you're wrong on that one, John. And someone else just saying nightclubs should not be opening. Well, they are. They're going to open tomorrow night. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls, text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And by the way, this is just to stop. Um, um, I don't want to waste people's time sending in the same text because I've had it in a number, a number of times from people uh, this morning and again yesterday. And it's to do with people going to church and to mass in particular on this Sunday because we know for religious uh, services now from this weekend can proceed without capacity limits. So there's no limit on the number that could go into the church. But people are wondering about the wearing of masks and the will they be asked for your COVID pass on the way into Mass? Because it does say under the guidelines that religious services and weddings can proceed without capacity limits, but with all other protective measures remaining in place. Now, to me, protective measures remaining in place will include wearing of a mask, social distancing, but will it also include your COVID cert and the checking of your COVID cert that's the one I'm, we're trying to get clarity on so we're going to get on to probably one of the diocese uh, maybe John Paul and see if we can find out just to get have they been given direction on it but it certainly is kind of another one of those anomalies that we're constantly talking about and with nightclubs allowed to reopen tomorrow night there appears to be much confusion about social dancing and that's going to be allowed to go ahead George O'Dwyer of the Hazel Tree in Mallow a well-known venue for social dancing for many years uh, joins me this morning Good morning to you George Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme and a lot of people are so interested in hearing your thoughts on all of this. Do you know at this stage when and if you can open for social dancing? Uh, First of all, Patricia, thank you very much for having me on your programme and congratulations on your recent award. Thank you. Uh, In reply to your question, uh, I 
for one and the hazel tree will not be opening for social dancing um, tomorrow night. It doesn't make sense to me at all. Had Were, were you hoping to be open this weekend? Uh, no. Um, to tell you the truth, uh, Patricia, I don't think this is over uh, by a long shot yet. Um, it, it has proven in Northern Ireland uh, that uh, the numbers, even though they're fully, nearly vaccinated, the numbers are as high as what they are down south. So it's not finished at all, and uh, we're not going to put our patrons, our staff, uh, in danger by reopening, especially uh, when the numbers are rising all the time. So have you have you remained closed since the start? Is, is your bar open? No, we no. haven't been open uh, since the 8th of March last year. The far, yeah, the very beginning of the, of the pandemic. Are you inundated with people asking you when are you going to reopen? Inundated. Uh, it's non-stop. Uh, no matter where we go, we are asked the very same questions. People are really missing the hazel tree. Well, it's it's you know it's it's a different clientele to um, um, these nightclubs. Uh, we're dealing with um, a more mature crowd, Patricia, and it's it's known as social dancing. Um, but uh, it doesn't make any sense to me that people um, will have to uh, social distance, uh, wear masks sit down and listen to a band. <laughs> yeah, you can't social distance while social dancing, is what you're saying. That's impossible. <laughs> That's impossible. Well, ask, ask Chris the, the Borg on that when he's singing cheek to cheek. And I obviously know the answer to this one. People are saying, could you ask George, are the cards playing coming back? But obviously you're not open at all, so you're not even back playing cards. No. No, no. No, okay. for sure. Stay there, stay there because I want to go to West Cork because local publican in West Cork and indeed a member of Cork County Council, Danny Collins, is asking an interesting question. Does the virus stop when it goes into a nightclub? Good morning to you, Danny. Morning, Christian. Morning to your listeners. Uh, you're, you're, okay, where are you at in your bar? Are you all set to go ahead this weekend? Well, I, I I have been open since the 26th of July um, when pubs are to reopen. But um, our bar counter is not back. And that's where basically, like, where we have most of our custom around the bar counter, like. And um, so, um, plus, what you got to, like, we say, table service and whatnot has to go ahead, still go ahead with these new gui- with, with the guidelines that are there. And um, I did have music booked for this weekend, for Saturday and Sunday night. And I just had to ring the two musicians and say to them, sorry, guys. This wouldn't pay. I had to cancel it. Um, basically, like you know, I'm losing about, they say, fifty percent of my, my capacity with with the way things are. Like you know what I mean? No bar counter, people sitting down, and like you know, what they're proposing for the the nightclubs is very confusing. Like you know, you can go into a nightclub, you can go up to the bar counter, get a drink, um, you can dance around the place and at the dance floor and whatnot, and there's no talking really of sitting down. That's what they're really... Well, like, I know the guidelines, the proper guidelines are supposed to come up, but that's what they're saying. That's what's going to happen. And like when you come into a pub then, you have to go to your seat, sit down, 
And if I did have music, I don't think you could get up and dance. Like you know what I mean. So well. Yeah, I think they were saying you could you could stand at your your seat. Yeah, 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 and and the social dancing that George is talking about at the hazel tree because we get a lot of calls in from West Cork on this one, Danny. It's hugely missed by it so many people. Missed. Yes, um, I just see last night um, the West Lodge Hotel where usually they have um, social dancing on a Sunday night prior to the pandemic, and they had advertised there um, there a number of weeks ago that they were going ahead again. Well, I think it's Sunday, but um, I see up on their social media page that. Cancelling yeah, listen, we're hearing of so many places who had hoped to go ahead with something this weekend has had to be cancelled. And we know that the new safety guidelines are going to be published today, even though from what I can gather this morning before I came on air, I was trying to find out when. It's not going to be until this evening. That's allowing very short notice, isn't I, it, Danny? Yeah, it's just like, but this has been happening all along. Like, you know, this has been... been it's Groundhog Day, and I'll be honest, it is just what it is. Because, like, you know, even prior to we reopening on the 26th, we, it was only 24 hours before before we got the guidelines. And less than that, I'm, I'm nearly certain, less than that. And, like, you know, it's, it's not giving businesses time to, to take them in. Like, for the 36-page um, guidelines for the Republicans the last time, like, and, like, you know, they have to think. These things have to be um, sorted out and organised. At least a week prior, give, give publicans or whether nightclub owners the chance to go through them and and um, and put them in place. Okay, so some some of the guidelines that we're expecting, we know that there's an increase in the bar at the table from six to ten. They're now saying that you might be able to have multiple bookings of tables. So if you have a group of 50, you can book five tables. The, the table service, it looks, is going to continue. But socially distant queues will be allowed to form at the bar counter, but you won't be allowed to congregate there. Yes. Um, we're we not sure yet. Is that for, just for nightclubs or is it for, for public houses as well? Like, um, Oh, so, yeah. Sorry. It could be just yeah. for night. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I honestly it's believe it's that, just that, it's chaotic isn't it yeah, it's chaotic at the moment like, um, it's like <laughs> I met a recent man in last night and he turned around to me and he said like he said he said they be schnogging things at nightclubs he says he said like I look, wish the nightclubs the best to look at reopening but like <laughs> you know that was his point of view like you know how we can sit at the bar counter and they can, they can do what they like inside the nightclub and you know it's different rules and regulations for one group and, and for others Yeah somebody yesterday made the point that her teenage daughter was going off to a teenage disco at the weekend where there's going to be 500 people at it and she said yet my dad can't sit at the bar and he's local and have a pint with his yeah. friends it's yeah okay listen uh, George can I just say huge outpouring of love for you coming in saying want to wish you all the best I can't wait for you to uh, reopen you will reopen George at some stage but you just don't have a date uh, we certainly will, uh, uh, Patricia. But there's one other point that I would like to make, and I'm sure Danny on the other line there would agree with me, um, is the admission at the door, uh, where people must present a COVID, uh, digital COVID certificate. Yeah. Now, uh, a lot of people will resent that, number one. But the most important thing with the COVID certificate is that you must have a picture ID with you. 
uh, to prove that this is your COVID certificate. Now, that's going to cause ferocious problems. Why? Uh, and I'm sure because a lot of people will resent either taking their passport or their driving licence or even their COVID certificate with them. But uh, but I think that's only if you don't, uh, in your case, if you don't know the person standing in front of you. I mean, you'd know a lot of your clientele. Uh, actually, whether you know them or not, uh, Patricia, doesn't really interest. And... Uh, you know, you you can't predict just because you know somebody and they tell you that they have the vaccine got. You uh, still have to have check. To, you still have you to check. You have to check. And okay. the, the onus is on you. Okay. If a health inspector comes into me and somebody is there uh, without um, having a, a valid certificate and um, no COVID injections got. Uh, I'm in serious trouble. Yeah, and, and we know, I mentioned that at the top of the programme, there's going to be a blitz on uh, pubs and restaurants, some health inspectors this weekend. Actually, Danny, because you, as you say, you've been open since the 26th of, of July. Uh, has that has that caused problems asking people for their COVID certs? Well, no, not really. i be honest, I have had reviews, one or two that didn't have their COVID certs with them, even up to last night. Like, I'd be quite honest, I'd say all straight at first, like, I've asked everyone for a COVID cert, they gave them to me. And I'm not asking them every night when they come into the Yeah, and you, but you don't have to. Once, no, no. If I'm a regular in your bar no, and you've like checked, last, yeah. last, last night, I had three Austrians who were on holiday here in Bantry who came in and I asked for their COVID certs and they handed them out to me and they were on their phone. And what you got it, I checked them and they were fine. Yeah. And what you got it, that was it. Like, but, yeah, um, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Listen, as I say, let the confusion continue. Let's see what comes out in the guidelines today. But in the meantime, thank you both uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank Uh, you very much. Good morning to you, Georgia Dwyer of the Hazel Tree in Mallow and Bantry Publican and also Cork County Councillor Danny Collins uh, in Bantry. 1850 333103. Lines open. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, the government has published legislation this week which will allow e scooters and electric bikes to be legally used on Irish roads. Alan Farrell is Fine Gael TD and Climate Action Spokesperson joins me to discuss this further. Good morning to you, Alan. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. I suppose, firstly, the real advantage to these e-scooters and electric bikes uh, is they're an alternative to the car. So, therefore, from a climate action point of view, they're a real win-win. Absolutely, Patricia. There's a real opportunity here for uh, for Irish people to avail of, of, a, of a really um, both economical and environmentally friendly mode of, of transport as an alternative to the car, as you, as you correctly highlight. Um, they are, through studies, really used for the last few miles of a journey as opposed to, you know, a long two, three, four mile commute. Um, but their range um, and battery capacity has increased over the years. Um, and as we know, they're already on our streets and this piece of legislation, which is very broad and covers a whole range of subjects, Patricia, including electric scooters and certain electric bikes, I should clarify, certain electric bikes are roadworthy, but some are not. Um, and the purposes of this bill is to is to enable uh, regulation to flow from the uh, Act should it pass both houses of the Oireachtas so that the, the sector can be regulated. And that would include, you know, safety standards, speed, lighting and that sort of thing. 
Okay, I know some people are questioning the fact that you you don't require a license, or you won't you don't require insurance. Uh, what happens if they cause an accident on the road? So the the government have decided to treat electric scooters uh, the same way that bicycles are treated, um, and I think really in our jurisdiction and because of um, you know decades and decades, if not longer, uh, of of rules and regulation in regards to bicycles. These are considered the same. Now, that's not to say that other jurisdictions have actually gone down the road of requiring a license or and or insurance. It is within the minister's um, uh, purview to 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 bring about an insurance arrangement if he so wishes. Now, I wouldn't favour it myself um, because if you're going to treat a, 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 a scooter like a bicycle, well then you should treat it like a bicycle. You don't uh, have insurance on a bicycle. But in saying that, Patricia, in terms of dangerous driving, in terms of uh, intoxicated drivers and things like that, they already apply to bicycles and in turn, I would hope that they will also apply to electric scooters. And just if I may say one other thing in relation to uh, the roadworthiness of these particular devices, there's huge concern. In fact, during uh, the publication of my own bill on this matter early this year, I wasn't contacted by a number of people from Cork and, and surrounding counties uh, in relation to uh, their use on footpaths, and I just mm-hmm. want to be absolutely clarity, give clarity rather to that that they're not permitted on on um, footpaths, and that only children's scooters, uh, electric or otherwise, that have a, a capacity to travel under six kilometres per hour would be would, would retain that permission, if you will, to, to to use a footpath, and that's for obvious reasons. But other road users, bicycles. Tricycles, uh, cars, trucks, buses, whatever you want, they're, they're only allowed on the road and in the case of bike lane, uh, bicycles and electric scooters. And, and, and if you are going to treat them the same as bicycles, will they then use the cycle lanes as well? Yes, that would be the, that would be the hope and um, that uh, they will be permitted to use the infrastructure. There's, there's considerable amounts of public funds going into the delivery of uh, cycle lanes up and down the country. Um, and that is going to ramp up in the coming years. So the network will get much, much bigger, much safer, segregated where it can in order to provide those uh, other road users with the sort of safety that they require. Um, and I think in general terms, you know, the, the environmental benefit of if taking, you know, a dozen people out of a, out of a car or cars in the morning reduces the, the, the congestion and with the investment in public transport that is uh, that has been heralded by the renewed national development plan in the last couple of weeks well then clearly you know this is an alternative for people to consider Okay Bernard says well done on this legislation it's long overdue but he wonders will there be requirements to wear helmets he's seen people whizzing around on these scooters they're not wearing helmets if they come off them they could be involved in a serious accident and injury to themselves I, I agree with that, that texture entirely I, I think we do need to have a conversation about the use of helmets on, on our roads now I don't particularly want to get into the argument with cyclists about whether helmets should be mandatory, but we have an opportunity to craft regulation uh, in relation to the use of electric scooters because this is the first time they will be roadworthy uh, in this jurisdiction. And I do think, personally speaking, as opposed to on behalf of my party or the government, um, that we should consider uh, mandated use of helmets. Um, The maximum speed limit, for instance, in Europe is, is in and around 25 kilometres per hour. So the, the risk to life is, is dramatically reduced. But if you're on a road, um, as a road user, as a cyclist, you would know your chances of surviving an accident with a car are greatly improved if, you're, if you have a helmet on. And I do think that we should consider um, helmets as, as a, mandatory, um, a mandatory provision for these things. And the other side of it then, in, in terms of local authorities, because of course there will be rental schemes 
popping up all over the country, I would have thought. I, I certainly asked for the Minister to consider a coordinated approach to that so that all local authorities are equal in terms of how they treat these devices. And that would include things like, you know, where they would be stored um, on the public street to ensure that they're not cluttering footpaths and things like that, but also to consider um, helmet rental schemes along with the with the scooter itself so that people can have the maximum opportunity to avail of them. OK, and somebody else is asking about will there be age restrictions on their use on roads? My own bill, uh, which I published earlier this year, uh, suggested the age of 16. And the minister's uh, bill is silent on that because it will be contained within the regulation. But the indications that I'm getting is that 16 would be would be the uh, the starting point for the for legal use of these devices. Okay, Margaret. I certainly say to your listeners, in terms of Christmas, I regret that it's unlikely that this bill nor the regulations will be completed before Christmas. Now, that's not to say the ambition isn't there, but I would urge caution in terms of the, the Christmas presents this year, as occurred last year when there was a lot of talk about it. And they are not roadworthy at the moment in terms of being confiscated and or persons fined for, for, for improper driving. So, you know, be careful and maybe hold off on buying them this Christmas. Um, but certainly, you know, in the new year, there'll certainly be consideration for it. OK, uh, Margaret, another one very much in favour of this legislation. She says, leave the scooter folk alone. They don't need to have insurance. If they were forced to take on insurance, then surely you'd have to go down the route of saying uh, a disabled person who has a disability scooter or a wheelchair, they would end up having to get insurance as well if they used uh, the road. But a number of people saying, great legislation. When do you expect it to be it to be passed? So, it's a, as I mentioned, it's a very comprehensive piece. Yeah. It covers things like licences, recognition of licences, how the government will treat automated vehicles, um, uh, graduated speed limits on the M50 and electric scooters. So very broad. I would have expected to take at least two months to get through both houses of the Oireachtas and then there will have to be a period of time for the regulation to be created thereafter and passed. So I certainly hope in the in, in the very end of the year or certainly in the new in, in the new year. Okay, certainly from an environmental point of view, anything that can get more people out of their cars uh, has got to be welcomed. Alan, we leave it there. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, Good morning to you. That is Deputy Alan Farrell of Fine Gael, who's Climate Action Spokesperson for uh, Fine Gael. And actually, when I'm on thank yous, somebody sent in a lovely uh, thanks for the fact that we had George from from the uh, Hazel Tree. Somebody said it was so good to hear George and so good to hear that he will open at some stage later on. There's been so many rumours flying around that it was gone and it was never going to reopen uh, again. I always enjoyed social dancing at the Hazel Tree and I've really, really missed it. And a lot of people will agree with you on that. So thank you for that uh, text to 0862 103 103. Okay, we need to take a break. We have news at 11 on uh, the way. In the next hour, we'll be speaking to the such a brave and courageous mother, uh, Brenda Barry O'Connell uh, joins us and uh, with the Fight for Fionn campaign that so many people would have discovered Brenda and would have found out about Brenda because of her campaign for her little boy that sadly, sadly little uh, Fionn uh, grew his angel wings and uh, passed away last month. We speak to uh, Brenda in the next hour. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, CMI You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Seamus in Nakraha actually says well done to George from the Hazel Tree. Uh, he says George is the only one from the industry that Seamus has heard come out saying he's not going to open for safety reasons. Uh, he just feels he needs to keep his staff, staff safe and he wants to keep all of his customers who go into the Hazel Tree he wants to keep all of them safe as well. And you're right Seamus I don't know if I've heard others who have are not opening because of safety as opposed to not opening because the guidelines at the moment seem to be all over the shop. And John says, I agree also with George from the Hazel Tree. Every person who comes to the door of a restaurant, a bar, a nightclub, whatever it is, with their COVID pass should be asked for ID. It doesn't matter whose brother or sister you are, you have to set an example. John says, I do like my bit of social dancing. There's nothing better than a jive to Mick Denver. Thousands will be going through the doors in Copperface Jacks this weekend. Uh, how many of those will be checked, says John. And somebody else, thanks for that, John. Somebody else made another point saying that they're totally confused. This is from Alan. Alan says, morning, Patricia. What I can't understand understand about the rules is if I go into a nightclub this weekend and the DJ decides to play a good song from the likes of U2 I can get up and dance no problem at all but if U2 the band decide to play in the very same venue then I have to remain seated the beggar's belief says Alan and a lot of people Alan within the industry are agreeing with you and scratching their heads on that one as well okay let me go back to the issue, oh, before I go back to the issue of the scooters, I just want to do one more. Uh, we've had a number of calls in uh, from people with regard to mass summed up by this text saying Patricia thank you for all the information uh, through all of the Covid times that's our, 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 our pleasure uh, I'm wondering do we still need masks when we go to mass also why haven't we been checked for our Covid vaccine when we've been going into mass like we're asked when we go into a restaurant or a cafe we could have non-vaccinated people inside in the church with us it would make more sense for the stewards to be asking to check our Covid certs rather than directing us to our uh, seats and directing us to uh, community they're not needed as we're not sheep. We know where to go. But why can we not have vaccine certs going in and out of mass? Now, we sent off requests this morning because we were getting so many calls about the updated guidelines for the churches. And Cork and Ross are the first to come back to us. We're still waiting. And I'm assuming it's going to be the same for Cloyne. We've also put a shout out to the Diocese in Kerry because we have a number of people who attend Mass in the Diocese of Kerry as well. Anyway, Cork and Ross back to us immediately. And they say, while capacity restrictions have been removed from tomorrow, remaining public health measures remain in place, such as mask wearing, good ventilation inside the church, sanitation on entry and departure, as well as social distancing insofar as is possible. Now, they also say in their statement that people coming to Mass have never been required to be asked to produce a COVID certificate and this remains the case. So the church is not going to decide between who's vaccinated and who is not vaccinated, but they will do social distancing insofar as possible. And I think probably on a normal Sunday in a large church, they won't have a problem with social distancing. People will be able to spread themselves out but you'd worry about Christmas wouldn't you? Christmas midnight mass when everyone's packed into the rafters. I think social distancing will probably be hard there but you are still asked wear your mask if you're going to mass on Sunday. Good ventilation, they'll keep doors and windows open where possible and don't forget to sanitise on the way in and on the way out. Now we were talking about scooters in the last hour and the fact that the government have published legislation which will allow e 
scooters and electric bikes to be legally used on our roads. John Infermoy is an e-scooter user and he's contacted us. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. How are you doing? How long have you had an e-scooter? My fantastic fiance went away last year and she bought me an e-scooter for Christmas. Okay. And you can't go around with it. Seriously, you cannot go around with it. And you you charge it up at home? See, there's, there's two two kind of things. Yeah, you can charge it at home for four hours, but I use I can use a solar panel there with a little inverter inside in the shed and you can charge it on that as well. And that's taking away the carbon footprint as well from charging, you know. Well done, well done. And what speed can you get up to on it? You can, this, these scooters, they're only up as far as 25 kilometres. Uh, that's the, 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 the fastest that you can get out of it, you know. Do you wear a helmet? Every day. You do, you do. And are you happy to see legislation coming in that will govern and put rules in place and also making it legally, that you can legally go on the road on your e-scooter? Are you happy with that? Absolutely delighted with it, seriously. And here's the reason, because as I said, my fiancé got it for me for Christmas, Christ, and the car broke down, grand. So herself was able to go downtown, do a bit of shopping. I was able to go downtown and bring all the shopping up with my little backpack, that backpack, and I made two little hooks for the front of the scooter, and I brought all the shopping home. <laughs> so, so it's it's not just to get you from A to B. You can actually, and I do you feel safe on it? I feel very safe. Now you will have the same as cyclists, you know, you'll have the odd uh, driver coming in very close, you know, just beeping the horn and all that kind of thing, you know, but look, you get over that. You've never fallen off? Not yet. <laughs> Please God, you never will. Are they easy to use? They are very easy to use, they're simple to use. Like, it's just a matter of uh, um, getting your balance right and all that. I've got mirror mirror on my one so I can see, I don't need to turn back to look to see if there's cars behind me. Yeah. And do you always go on the road or do you go on the footpath? No, I'll always go on the road. The road is the only way. Anyone to go on on, on the footpath with, with, with an e-scooter is stupid because they're, they're going to have it taken off them, you know. Yeah, I mean, I only said it the other day. I was I was downtown and a, a, a young guy, teenager, well, an older teenager, I'd say maybe 16, 17, came flying. Now, maybe he was only doing 25 miles an hour, but on a footpath, when somebody comes that close and whizzes by you, he frightened the life out of me because he just seemed to, whoom, he was gone and, and whizzed past. And th- But that was on a footpath. That's, that should be taken off him, seriously. It should, like, you know, like, don't do it, just don't do it because you're given... Given us, he's, the other e-scooter riders are giving us bad names, you know what I mean? And oh, this and this and that. Um, no, anyone to, to, to ride on a, a footpath, it just shouldn't be allowed. And are they expensive? 600 euro is what we paid for. 600. There. And do you know something? The only pity about these is that they're not actually made and manufactured here in Ireland. Like we have to, you know... The, this one came from the UK. Do you know, if they were manufactured in Ireland, along with eat white and all that, to be way, way better for the country at this, you know. And then, and you only have it a year. It's never broken down. You've had, you didn't have to get parts for it or anything. I have a thousand miles up in this, Patricia. Have right? you? All right. <laughs> right, there's a thousand miles up in it. Uh, the battery, you get 360 cycles out of this. 500 
motorcycles, as in, you know, four out of charging, and you get 17 miles out of that scooter then. So it's great for up and down the town. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And you, you, so you're definitely getting a lot of mileage. You've got a, with your 1,000 kilometres uh, so far. Well done. Well done. But the, the I know um, Alan... The Fine Gael TD who joined us, he was saying to to people, to particularly with children, hold off buying them for ch- for children. Would you recommend it for for children? It kind of goes. If you're going to give, we say, you give your little child a, a knee scooter, right? So you're going to go with mummy and daddy and your e scooter. You're going to be on the footpath. You know what I mean? So that's it. You know, it's kind of. You can't put a child on the road with an e-scooter. Yeah, they have to stay on the footpath with you. Put an age limit on it to uh, 16, 17 or something like that and make sure that they are used on the road, you know. Okay, well, let's we'll keep a close eye on the legislation. It's going; it's quite a lengthy piece of uh, legislation, uh, but uh, at least it's a step in the right direction, and they are doing something about it. Okay, John, listen, you stay safe on your scooter, and thank you for joining us on the program. Good morning, Jeff. Bye bye, bye bye. That's John in uh, from Oi. Some of your other calls coming in. Mike on inspectors. When I mentioned that inspectors are going to be going around this, they're expecting a blitz on health inspectors on pubs and restaurants over the weekend to make sure that businesses are complying with the COVID 19 rules. Mike says, I was in a restaurant recently. We were asked at the door for our COVID certs. When we then asked the girl, Are you vaccinated? And she said, no, she wasn't. So how can we solve this when the crowds serving us are not vaccinated? So if you're, they're going to look for certs at the door, then surely the people looking for the certs should be vaccinated themselves. We'll never get out of this otherwise. And just then, um, anti-vaxxers and people who are against vaccination, and they can be quite vocal, particularly on social media. We've had a couple of calls in, and we're not going to name any of them at this point in time, we may at some stage because we may decide to speak with some of them. But we've had a call in from some of our local TDs to say that they have noticed that their constituency offices have started to see an increase in calls from people who are against the COVID-19 vaccine. Probably the same people who don't even believe that COVID uh, exists. And one TD in particular who contacted us this morning was making the point, look, everyone has a right to choose whether you want to get vaccinated or not. And that's the way we're running it in this country. We're encouraging people to get vaccinated, but it's up to uh, individuals. It is somebody's personal choice. But these people now, it's almost like a campaign they've started, who are starting to ring the local TDs. They're getting very abusive to the staff. And at the end of the day, if you ring a TD's constituency office, it ain't the TD that's going to be answering the phone it's going to be a secretary or a PA or an office assistant that's going to be ans- answering it. And it's really, really unfair that that person has to then listen to this torrent of abuse that's been spewed down the phone at the person. And seemingly the language that's been used uh, is uh, beyond a vile. And it just simply needs to stop. How we stop it, I don't know but it needs to be called out because it is wrong. And then Sheila in Mallow was on to us to say that she was in a a cafe yesterday and she said she really has to compliment the staff on the way they have been complying by all of the COVID rules and and, uh, regulations. Sheila goes in there regularly. They're always asked for their COVID certs. They always have to sign in for contact tracing and give a phone uh, contact and they do everything in the little cafe that they've been asked to do. But Sheila said when she was in there yesterday, a gang of about five 
came in and when they were asked for their details and their COVID certs, they started giving abuse to the staff. Now Sheila said they were young. She had she hasn't I haven't she hasn't put an age on them. But she said the reason that everybody else in the cafe knew what was going on was because of the chaos they were causing. And Sheila said uh, the staff really she said she went and complimented the staff afterwards. She said they have such patience in having to deal with that. But they stood up to these five people and said, Well you're not you're not coming in if you don't have your COVID search. Those I don't. As I remember, one restaurant worker said to us when early on when the COVID search came in, when she got into arguments with people who didn't have COVID search, she keeps saying, "I don't. I'm not inventing these rules. I didn't. I didn't invent COVID. I didn't decide that everybody had to have a COVID vaccine or they were not have a COVID passport. But those are the rules that are in place, and it is my job. Therefore, if I work in this establishment, I have to ask you for for your COVID." Uh, cert. But it is tough on staff as well, uh, for sure. 1850 333 Catherine is, is vaccinated, but she says what she is hearing is happening is that people are using other people's vaccination uh, certs. People are taking the vaccine cert belong to somebody else and going into places. How do we manage to stop that? I, yeah, listen, we're hearing, we're hearing about that. That's why you need to that's why they asked for ID. Actually, a couple of people are saying, why didn't they put a photograph onto the COVID passport at the time? Whether that would have been very complicated or not, I don't know. But people are saying that that would be one way around. But we've heard a lot of that, that people are using other people's COVID certs instead. OK, I'm going to stay um scooters for a minute because Mary uh, joins me. Um, good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I, do you have a scooter? No. No. You are a motorist. I'm a motorist. Yes. Okay. And you, you your your thing is what happens if you hit somebody out on the road on an e-scooter or on one of these electric bikes? On, on the footpath. On the footpath. On the footpath. Okay. They are frequently cycling outside my gate and other neighbours' gates because we have a big wide footpath outside. There is none on the other side of the road. And um, the, the cyclists, that's mine, the e-cyclists, they're all flying past and they really do go fast. I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. I will hit one of them. And I, I do about 15 miles an hour. My daughter says I'm a danger on the road. You're not. You're not. You're being extra careful. I am. But you, OK, you, you've a, your car is in the driveway of your house, is it? It is. And I, I rang the guards. I actually was so, so upset that I rang the guards and I said, uh, what about them? And they said, it's illegal. It's illegal to cycle on the footpath. Mm. So I said, well, I said, I know that. But I said, could you put up a notice? Could you please put up a notice like they have on Mallow Bridge? And there is a, a bicycle on it with a line through it. And it says no cycling on footpath. That's on Mallow Bridge. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Put up one around here. Yeah. And they said, well, we'll see. That was the council. Now, they both taught me the guards and the council, that it is illegal to cycle with a bicycle, not a mind an e-scooter, on the footpath. And I am really scared because they fly. They really fly. The, the cyclists do not mind them. This is on an, on an ordinary bicycle. And we know certainly, I don't know about a bicycle, but I know certainly with the e-scooters, if a member of Angarda Siakona catches you on the footpath, on an e-scooter, your e-scooter 
can and has been confiscated. I don't know if it's happening very often, yeah. but it can be confiscated. And that's why a lot of this legislation is needed. In the, but there's going to be a delay with the legislation. But the other thing with the, the legislation is the person on the e-scooter or on the electric bike who will be out on the road won't have their own insurance. No, no. Well, I, I, I'm not likely to hit them. I go so slowly. I okay. see them, you know. But... It's the ones uh, on the footpath. Get off the footpaths. Uh, all, all I'm asking them to do is to put up one of these poles like they have. Yeah, a, a sign telling people. Yeah. yeah. I did see one chap. Now, he could have been married. He was, I, I didn't really see him clearly. He was riding an e-scooter and he had a basket, like as you would on an ordinary bike. And he had a baby inside. And he was on the footpath. Luckily, I was not coming out of the car. Wow. That, does, a baby, that doesn't sound very safe, does it? No. And I'd be threatening to ring you and, and say it. And then i say, well, I'm always complaining. I see. Well, you've, you've, you've aired your views. There'll be a lot of people agreeing with you as well. Yep. Get off the footpaths, folks. And, and there get are onto a the lot roads. up and down here. Now, I live in Spog Lane and there are a lot uh, up and down that road because there are a lot of estates going up to... Um, and are, they, are you talking about teenagers? I am. Yeah. Adults as well? Mainly teenagers, okay. 17, 18. Now, the man with the baby, I don't know what age he was. Yeah, surely not a teenager. No. Okay. All right, Mary, listen, stay safe. And thanks a million for contacting us. Bye. Good morning, Gia. Bye-bye, bye-bye. C103 Jobs. An experienced construction worker is wanted for Kinsale. Can you send a CV, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Dan Seaman Motors, they've got vacancies for a junior and senior parts person. Email applications to jur at danseamanmotors.ie or you can call them at 87 Pizza Max, that's in Canturk. They're looking for an assistant for their front desk and may actually suit a student, 86 5813 and Clever Kids Early Years there's Chambalimore they're looking for an early years practitioner with a minimum of QQI or FeeTech level 5 CVs to Clever Kids SPM at gmail.com you can get, get more details and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie It was with great sadness uh, I read last month about the death of little Fionn Barry from Ballyhay just outside Charleville. Fionn, against all the odds, had reached his seventh birthday but the odds were very much stacked in his favour thanks to his wonderful parents, Brenda and Trevor. Brenda O'Connell Barry joins me uh, this morning. Uh, Good morning to you Brenda. Good morning Patricia. Now literally there are just no words that I can say to you to help ease the pain that you are currently going through and there has been a huge outpouring of love and support uh, for you and for Trevor. Is that helping in any way? Oh it is. It is of course. Um you know, Fionn was just the most amazing, special little boy and the comfort that it has brought us just to really, really see just how many people he touched, Patricia, in his little short life. You know, it, it's beautiful. We're really grateful. And 
in the end, was it very fast? Did, did you realise that you were losing him? Um, yeah. Um, it, it it was fast and it wasn't. It, you know, we had, we had a very special thing here on the Tuesday before he passed. He was made an honorary paramedic. And there was photos taken and I had my sunglasses on and all the photos because I was crying, Patricia. I knew I was losing him. I knew that that would be the last, you know, special thing that was going to happen for Fiona. I just couldn't stop crying the whole time everyone was here. And we actually had to, one of the ambulances had to bring Fiona to hospital that day when they were finished and they were all off duty, you know. That was a special thing that was happening for Fiona. But, you know, I just knew when we were going up in that ambulance, I couldn't stop crying. I knew that I was just really, really running out of time with him. And you knew from a very early age that Fionn had a life-limiting condition. But did any of the experts and the doctors and the consultants you would have spoken to, uh, did any of them expect him to reach his seventh birthday? No, no, two. They had said two. They said, oh... You know, you'll be lucky if you'll see too. But, you know, Patricia, nothing that we did for Fionn would have been possible without the support that we got from everyone, from all your listeners, from the community, from people, you know, far and wide, up and down the country and even outside of Ireland that donated his campaign and that helped us provide him with this lovely extension that we had for him, his beautiful, comfortable bedroom, you know, he had everything was laid on here for him. He was so safe and so loved. And, you know, none of that would have been possible without the support from the community and the people around us, our family and our friends were so, you know, and that really, now when we're thinking back, we're just so grateful to everyone, to everyone that helped his campaign, you know, even people that just only text us and... and sent us messages of support. Not everyone could support us through the fundraising. You know, not everyone had the means to do that. But even the texts and the messages that people sent us along our journey, that was so beneficial for Fionn. Everyone, it wasn't only me and Trevor pulling for him. It was everyone that helped us along the way, Patricia. I was so grateful. There was an army behind the Fight for Fionn campaign. But at times, uh, Brendan, over the years I would have interviewed you, it used to frustrate me that you even had to go down that route of yeah. organising fundraising. I mean, yeah. your 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 life and your role as a mother and a carer was hard enough without battling a system to get yeah. the basics at times. I mean, it yeah. really was the basics. Yeah, that is that is a huge thing, and I'm I'm not finished, Patricia. I'm not finished fighting for family carers and for families like us. Uh, this is only the start. I I intend to keep going in Fionn's name and in Fionn's honour, fighting for other families. I mean, that would have been one of the most exhausting parts of Fionn's journey. It was fighting the HSE. They made everything so, so, so difficult. You know, um the fighting that I had to do to get home nursing here at home, 
the ways that I had to go about justifying my need for support, my need for sleep. You know, Trevor works very hard and he worked very hard and he had to go out and work. But I was facing people telling me that, you know, he should be staying up some of the nights and minding Fiona and going into his job in his factory the following morning as an electrician with no sleep. This was the the attitude we were faced with, you know. Um, I had to actually nearly have a mental breakdown to get any help at all, Patricia. And, I mean, we had such wonderful support with Fionn's consultants, his school, his team in St. Joseph's Foundation. They advocated. They stood behind us. They fought tooth and nail, saying how complex Fionn was, how high medical needs he had, just how exhausting the care that went into him. Because, as you know, Fionn could stay awake for nine days and nine nights crying and screaming that whole time. The the mental anguish that we suffered caring for him at times was just, there's no words that could describe it. And like just the, I suppose the, I can't even describe it, the, the attitude of those people that we had to deal with in the HSE when we were advocating for that kind of basic support, you know, just sleep really was the one key thing that I really, I feel that if I had gotten it sooner, I could have put more, so much more energy into other things with Sean Patricia. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I was so exhausted so, from the I mean, that's, with them. That's the one thing that any carer will tell you. If you've lack of sleep, it's yeah. to try and keep going. I mean, I've you speak to people who uh, manage to get a bit of respite and you say to them, you know, what are you doing for your respite? And most people will say, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to... Ca-. I mean, it's just... And it's such a... I mean, sleep deprivation has been used in torture over the years. Yeah. You know, we, we know oh, the yeah. effect that sleep deprivation has. And you're... You're sleep deprived while trying to look after this child with very complex needs. And also, yeah. when you used to talk about Fionn with the, the, the brain agitation and that constant crying and nothing would, would, would soothe him, you're dealing with, you know, your much loved child. You're watching yeah. him go. It's just beyond belief. And then to have somebody in an office saying, well, can't your husband stay up and let you yeah. sleep? Yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah. It just, it yeah. Def- yeah, soul destroying. It, it really is soul is destroying. destroying. It is soul. And I know over the years I would have spoken to you, and there was many times, Brenda, where you were very close to complete and utter burnout. Yeah, absolutely. What yeah. What yeah. was it though at those times? How did you manage to keep going? Um, Fionn, just his little face, Patricia. You know. He he just was such an amazing, amazing little boy. And, you know, myself and Trevor, we were often here. We were like ships passing in the night, you know, taking turns, trying to care for him and give each other breaks. And just he was going through so much. And you just look into his little face and you just say to yourself, oh, my God, if this small, precious little boy can endure this, surely be to God, we can keep going. We can stay strong for him. And that's what we did. And, you know, it, it 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 did send us to the brink of despair and back again so many times. I mean, the seven years that, that we have put down, I just, no family should have to go through it. There should be more support. There, there needs to be so much more help. I mean, I don't know how, as a couple, myself and Trevor have gotten through it, you know, not to mind having actually had to lose Fionn at the end of it, Patricia. You know, it's just... 
it just beggars belief and what families have to go through and the lengths that they have to go to to get the support. It's just, and it's so it's so devastating to come across these people who are just in an office and they're taking a box and they're like, this is the criteria and... You, you, know. don't, you don't meet the criteria. Your yeah. child doesn't meet the criteria. Your family yeah. doesn't meet the criteria. How, yeah. how dare somebody even, you know, walk a mile in my shoes, come and live in oh, Brenda's shoes yeah. and, and, yeah. and tell me I, that she doesn't meet uh, the, the criteria. It's, yeah. it's, and and yeah. as we're talking, Brenda, and you are aware of it, there's families today living that, living that life. There is, there is. I remember at one stage, Patricia, um, when I was fighting to get more support at night, I printed out 105 photographs of Fionn crying um, to go with my application because, you know, you're, these people, they just have no empathy, they have no compassion. And, like, you must remember that these people, the majority of them are nurses, you know, that you're dealing with on the ground, applying for these hours and asking for this help, and it goes up along the line. And a good share of them are actually nurses before you get to the head honchos in, in Dublin who are taking the, the ultimate box, we'll say, to give the funding. But before you come to those lads in Dublin, it's nurses that you're dealing with who are, you know, supposed to be compassionate and supposed to care and who would have a good idea of the level of medical care that was going into Fionn and that is going into other children similar to him that are still living. You know, that's the thing that I found so hard to stomach. You know, nurses have a duty of care and, you know... And you sent them in over 100 photographs? I did, yeah. I printed them out, Patricia. I went into the chemist downtown and I printed them out. And I wrote a big, long letter and I had supporting letters from his wonderful consultant, Dr. Gibson in Cork and his life-limiting nurse Tyrone and all the, the lovely lads below in St. Joseph's, you know, who supported us so well and his school. I had letters from my own consultant, from my Lucas, from my GP who was advocating, saying how worn out I was and how desperately I needed sleep. And I wasn't successful on that occasion. I had to still keep going and keep fighting for another two solid years for more help, Patricia. And eventually I got the help. I was given the help that I had wanted for Fionn and I only was able to avail of it for two weeks before he passed. Two weeks. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. Oh, it, it and is did, shocking. And if yeah. you had taken, if you and Trevor had decided to take, had decided, I won't say the easy route because it's not the easy route, but if you had decided to say, we can't do this anymore, you, you know, the HSC, are go- we're, you're going to have to find residential care and, and, and look after uh, Fionn. I mean, the, yeah. the cost that that would have been to the HSC. Oh, yeah. But yeah. at any stage, did that go through your mind that would you, would you, I can't do this anymore? Yeah. Um, sometimes it did, Patricia, and sometimes, you know, we were very lucky that we did have some help and the nurses that we had coming in here were like family. They were like our own and they loved Fionn like he was their own. And sometimes when they'd come in and I'd go into bed, I'd be crying inside in bed because the day would have been so difficult. And I sometimes I'd say, please, God, don't let me wake up. I can't wake up. I can't face into another day, you know, and like... All I did want was sleep. You know, I didn't ask for any help in the daytime or anything. I only wanted to go to bed at night, Patricia. 
and to be made to feel like such a failure and such a flawed mother for needing sleep. Do you know the way they make you feel? You know, at one stage I was told, um, oh, you can apply for more help, but you might lose the help that you've got already. Like, you know, they might look into your case and say, actually, you're getting too much help as it is. Yeah, huh? putting the fear of God into it. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Try, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and when, I just want to give you an example now of, the HSE, what they did when Fionn passed. Um, he was buried on a Monday and the following Monday I got a phone call, Patricia, and a lady came on the phone. She said, I'm such and such from the HSE. I'm just ringing to say we'll be out tomorrow for Fionn's bed and his wheelchair and his seating system. And I said, I said, oh, right. I said, well, I said, sorry now, but he didn't even give us two euros towards his wheelchair, so he certainly won't be getting that. And she said, all right, so his bed and his seating system. And she said, is there anything else? And I said, yes. I said, your condolences for the loss of my son wouldn't go astray. What'd she say? And she just kind of went silent and she said, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And, um, you know, I put her off. I didn't give them the bed and the seating system that day. Because, like, that was the only two items that we got from the HSE, Patricia, Every other beautiful thing that we had for Fionn, we got with the help of Family Carers Ireland, who who helped us so much with pieces of equipment and, and, and the fundraising did I, did campaign. I, did I see you online? You're donating some of those items. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, everything, Patricia. Everything that we have for Fionn, we're going to give to other families. We're going to, you know, just spare one family that torture of having to advocate and fight and fight for a piece of equipment. We're just going to try and help so many people. His wheelchair, we're going to be able to use it as a stopgap wheelchair for a few different families, for a family that's waiting for their own wheelchair. Fionn's wheelchair will be able to, to step in and allow that child to access the bus to school, perhaps, for a few months until their wheelchair comes. Well done, well done. And so it'll it, help so a few families, not only one family. So that's, you know, that's really, it's really helping us to think that we can do that and have a legacy for yeah. with equipment, you know, to help other families. That's exactly the word I was going to, going to use. This now becomes Fionn's leg, uh, legacy. And yeah. health-wise, you, you, you touched on, and whenever you touch on it, you always just breeze over it. Uh, when, you, when you talk about you, you have lupus, how are you health-wise at the moment, Brenda? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like I'm, it's just so strange. When Fionn was with us, I craved sleep so much, Patricia, and I was so exhausted all the time. And you know, fighting to get someone to help me to get that sleep. And now that he's gone, and I can sleep as much as I want, I can't sleep. I'm, you know, I'm awake at night. You know, listening for him and walking the halls, and you know, thinking that I hear him, and you know, he'd be doing such and such now, and you know, it's just. Oh, the silence is absolutely deafening. My arms are so empty. My heart is empty. The house is empty. It's just, oh, it's I, it's so devastating. We miss him so, so much, Trevor and myself. We miss him so much. But it's just, it's just going, it's going to help us now. We're going, I'm going to continue my fight for carers with the help of Family Carers Ireland, hopefully. And... We're going to use his equipment. That's going to be his legacy. We're going to try and keep his name alive as much as we can. You know, keep 
keep him in people's minds and just remember the beautiful, special, precious little boy that we had and the seven years of love that we gave him with the help of everyone. You know, it's he just, he really was a miracle and we were so, so blessed to have him. And he was blessed to have you both as parents. He, he, he really was. And, you know, this darkness will one day lift. What, what will you most remember about little Fionn? Oh, his eyes, Patricia. He had eyes and eyelashes. Oh, my God, his eyes were so blue. And when he'd look at you, if you were blessed enough that day to get a smile off that child, oh, my God, when he would smile, his teeth, he had a gap in between his two front teeth. Oh, he was just the most beautiful boy in the world. Oh, our heart breaks for you, Brenda. It really does. You've been incredible. You, you've just been incredible. And I can see so many people say they're in tears listening uh, to you, as we all are here. You're just, you're great. And listen, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Thank and and we, will, we will talk again. And when things yeah. are back to normal, we'll have you in studio for a, 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 another chat. But just, and no. I just, I just want to thank everyone so much again, Patricia. There's so many people. I, I won't go naming anyone for fear of letting anyone out, but everyone that helped his campaign and helped us and the, all the beautiful girls in Puff and Ward above in Cork. Oh my God, they're so fantastic. And his consultant and Tyrone, they were so, so good to us. We're so grateful to everyone that did even the slightest little thing for Fionnet. We're so grateful. Okay. You look after yourself and Trevor. You too. Thank you so much for this chance. Thank you. God bless. God bless. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Huge outpouring of love for uh, poor old Brenda in the last hour. And thank you. I, I, I really do appreciate people sending in texts. And I know how much Brenda appreciates uh, hearing from uh, people who just want to, you just want to wrap herself, her and Trevor up and just make everything right for them. You know, you just, if you could wave a magic wand and bring little Fionn back to them and let everything be okay for them. And unfortunately, that's the reality of uh, life and they've got a tough, tough road uh, ahead of them. I'll just g- give you some of the texts and the calls we got in, but I just want to mention one particular call we got in from a lady by the name of Ruth, who 100% was able to identify with everything that Brenda was saying, especially the battle that Brenda went through in the seven short years that little Fionn was alive, the constant battles that she had with the HSE to get items that Fionn needed to make his life a little bit easier or to get the little bit of support that she got. I think of everything she said when, you know, she fought so hard so she could sleep at night for some extra care at night to help them out so she could just sleep so she could keep going during the day and for that to have kicked in two weeks before Fionn died you know seven years she battled for it and it kicks in two weeks before he dies I mean words fail me words just fail me anyway Ruth was on uh, to say she had a little boy 
very similar to Fionn needed care 24-7. Like Brenda, she had to give up her job and stay at home to look after her little boy while her husband went out to work. And she said, listening to Brenda today, she was completely identifying very same answers she got from the HSE when she'd look for extra help, particularly overnights. It'd be, well, why can't your husband stay up and uh, help? And, you know, you need to set up a rota system and manage, you know, manage between your between yourselves and Ruth felt said that she felt so bad when people used to say that to her it was as if they weren't good enough uh, parents so she said they did herself and her husband struggled through as best they could they had no choice there was nobody there to help them and they tried to survive on as little sleep as possible but the problem was that her husband had to go out to work to make the money to keep the household going same as what Brenda was saying about uh, Trevor and she said one day her husband actually collapsed at work due to sleep deprivation his colleagues were constantly warning him you can't stay up all night looking after your little boy who needs so much care and attention and then come to work the next day she said she even remembers on days his colleagues having to drive him home because he was simply so tired but uh, Ruth said that's what the HSE wanted them to do and expected them to do she wants to say well done to Brenda for highlighting it it's a shame that it's happening and continues to happen and unfortunately the same as with Brenda Ruth lost her little boy he passed away in uh, 2019 oh God so you know the heartache she's going through as well our thoughts sympathies to you on the death of your beautiful little boy uh, Ruth and uh, hopefully you're, you're doing okay today but you know that that pain that Brenda is going uh, through Mary was on to say I think the powers that be absolutely disgrace after hearing Brenda's story on the radio today our TDs need to think about people like Brenda and all of us who give them the liberty to do what they do something needs to be done about it some of your text in that's one great mother herself and her husband are saints how they've cared for their little angel I can't see through the tears says Eileen as I'm sending you this text may God bless them and so many people just simply sending in a text saying in tears uh, listening to that uh, poor uh, mother another listener said listening to Brenda about what she had to go through with her little son I think some of those people in the HSC should be fired from their jobs they don't have a clue what it's like and what's been experienced by what families are going through at home they should hire people who are compassionate and full of empathy. They should hire people that will listen and they should also be hiring people who've got more life experience. My heart goes out to all of those families, says Anne. I'm crying as I am writing this text to you. Oh God, what a wonderful mother. May God bless her and her husband. Absolutely in tears uh, listening and on and on. The, uh, the comments go and somebody, I thought this was a lovely comment, somebody said that's love right there. And that's exactly what it was. Every single word that came out of her mouth just oozed, absolutely oozed with uh, love. Keep Brenda and Trevor in your thoughts and prayers, uh, please. They're going to need so much support going forward. But the fact that she has that strength to say, well, her caring role now has ended because someone said it's Fionn, her only child. Yes, he was her one and only. Her caring role has ended, but it's not going to stop her. We're going to hear and see, I think, a lot more from Brenda because she will continue to advocate on behalf of other carers who in the situation that she and Trevor found themselves in for seven years. She's a, she's a mighty woman and I really don't think the powers that be know what they've taken on with her. She really is fantastic. Uh, 1850-333-103. Can I just go back to other topics coming in? We were talking about e-bikes e-scooters and electric bikes on the programme because we know as we discussed today the government has published legislation that will allow for e 
scooters and electric bikes to be legally used on Irish roads. Catherine says by law the footpath should be only for pedestrians. Wheelchairs users, buggies and buggies. It's not for bicycles and e-scooters. Well they shouldn't, that's the whole thing and that's why the legislation is needed. They shouldn't be on they actually shouldn't be on the uh, footpaths, but that's not stopping people putting them on the footpaths. Should battery operated wheelchairs travel on footpaths or on streets, says another texter. Well, surely if it's a wheelchair, it, it should be on a footpath. I don't think anybody's th- suggesting that battery operated wheelchairs that you would put them out on roads. We're talking about e-scooters and bikes here. Kinsale listener says, Patricia, if you are on an electric scooter on the footpath in Lanzarote, do you know what happens? It gets taken off you. I've actually seen it with my own eyes while over there on holidays and believe me there's no back chat in that country to the police when they arrive. Our law is too weak too weak. There are no manners in our country. And well done to John from Formoy who joined you on the programme this morning talking about he only ever uses his helmet and he's got the mirror on it and everything so he doesn't have to turn around. He can see what's coming behind him and he only ever uses his scooter on the road. Never ever on the footpath. Another regular listener says, hi Patricia, I was almost knocked down over on a footpath. About a month ago, one of those e-scooters came up behind me, went past me at such great speed and by the way, didn't even stop. The man on it was easily in his 30s, I would hazard a guess. They should be fitted with a bell. Thanking you. I'm sure they do have a bell, but they shouldn't. he shouldn't be on the footpath at all. Somebody else says, how much is insurance for e-scooters? Nothing. You don't have insurance for e-scooters and the new legislation is saying that you won't have insurance and there'll be no licensing either. They've been treated the very same way as bicycles and the idea is that people out on bicycles on the road don't need insurance so it's going to be the same for the e-bikes and it's going to be the same for the e-scooters. Pat said all those devices are driven by motors um, as are motorbikes so therefore the same rules should apply says Pat. Pat feels they should be covered by insurance and with uh, road tax. Well certainly on the legislation that they're trying to pass through the doll in the Senate that's not going to happen. 1850 333 103 and I can see a lot of texts coming in about COVID certs and can I just read an email that came in from Fimbar who says you probably won't read this out. Fimbar, listen, I do. we do our best to get through as many emails and comments and texts as we can. Some days we are just so busy, we are so swamped. Bearing in mind there's only myself and John Paul working on the programme. We do our best to get to all of them. We do say to people though, if we don't read out your comment or your text or your email on air, we do make a promise that we do get to all of them when we come off air. But we do our best that, you know, there's, there's only so many hours that we're on air for to read out and we try, as I say, we try to get through as many uh, comments as we can. Anyway, Finbar's taking me to task. He says, I've been listening to your radio programme. Amazed to see that you've joined the ranks of Pat Kenny, Tuberty and Joe Duffy in vilifying the unvaccinated. The main comment out of all the stuff that really struck me this morning uh, was your unreasonable comment about people who are not taking the vaccine and you said who probably don't believe COVID exists. I've got concerns about the vaccine says uh, Fimber, as do a lot of people. And But I do believe COVID exists. In fact, I am recovering from it. What a ridiculous assumption to make. And that's from Fimber. Fimber, what I was actually saying was that there are some people out there, like your good self, who genuinely have issues around not taking the vaccine and that's fine. It's a personal choice. We haven't gone down the route of forcing anyone to have a vaccine. But what I was saying and maybe it came out wrong and maybe you misunderstood me, there are other people 
who haven't got the vaccine, who actually do not believe COVID exists. You'll see them all over social media. They contact us here at the programme on a regular basis. They're believing that there's no such thing as COVID uh, exists. So I w- I'm not assuming that there are people who don't believe in COVID. There are people who don't believe in COVID. But I never said that everyone who doesn't get the vaccine doesn't believe in uh, uh, COVID. And when you say there are a lot of people who have issues with the vaccine, I'll take you to task on that. There are not a lot of people. There's only 8% of the population over the age of 15 who are not vaccinated. So that means the majority of people believe in the vaccine and believe that the vaccine uh, works and all the medical evidence is there to prove that the vaccine works. But you, if you have your concerns, that's fine. What I would say to you is go and get the information that's available from reputable reputable websites go talk to your doctors try if you can get an immunologist talk to people in the know to try to allay your fears around the vaccine the only thing is the fact that you've recovered and hopefully you weren't too unwell from it that you're one of the lucky ones that didn't get very unwell from COVID the only thing is that you you, you will have natural antibodies now uh, which means certainly for the next number of months you don't have to worry about getting a vaccine because you'll have the antibodies which will protect you but thank you for your uh, text and actually thank you to a lady who I asked her to keep us updated on how her daughter was doing she'd sent in a text last week when we were talking about the vaccines and how important the vaccines were in protecting people and she was telling us about her daughter who was in hospital her daughter went into hospital with with an infection and ended up picking up COVID while in a hospital and she was texting us to say how unwell she was and she's text back to say I actually thought I lost her last week she's still on a ventilator she's now in intensive care seven weeks but she is responding to the treatment. My God, my heart goes out to you. You've been on a difficult, difficult journey for the last number of weeks. We continue to send good thoughts and prayers and positive vibes to your daughter that she makes a full recovery, but also to yourself as well. It's a tough thing for a mother to have to go uh, through. 1850 Somebody says, hi, what's the difference between dancing at a wedding and uh, not being able to dance inside in a pub or go to a social dance? Yeah, ask the powers that be that. That's what, and they're trying to work out on the final guidelines before everything reopens uh, tomorrow. But that is, yeah, that absolutely is a very good question. If people are shy about showing their COVID certs, says another texter, tell them to stay at home. Someone else is worried about the churches reopening and wondering, are Catholics obliged to attend Mass now the churches are back to 100% capacity from tomorrow? This texter is saying social distancing and mask wearing are still required. What do others think? Can you still stay stay at home or are you obliged as a Catholic to go to Mass now even with social distancing and masks uh, but uh, now that they're 100% uh, open I would say have a have a call through to your to your local parish priest he would be the man in the know for you we did get on to the Cork and Ross who tell us that you have to wear masks all right social distancing where possible and hand hand sanitisation but they've never asked and won't ask anybody for a Covid cert to get into mass 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie And today is in International Credit Union Day. Actually, I saw a survey came out during the week showing that credit unions are the best when it comes to customer service. It was phone companies came out at the as the worst. So 
Happy International Credit Union Day to all of the credit unions. Rathmore and District Credit Union, they've got a coffee cart in their main office in Rathmore today. It's there from now until 3 o'clock this afternoon. They're selling coffee with all of the proceeds going to the Air Ambulance Service in Rathcool. Kildallery Community Development, they've got their weekly lottery draw 4 o'clock this afternoon in the community office with a jackpot this week of €3,800. A further meeting regarding the starting of a men's shed in Donorell will be held tonight in the Pastoral Centre on Convent Road at half past seven. All those interested are welcome to attend and two members from the Mallows Men's Shed will be in attendance. And LEP Scarecrow Festival currently underway. Still time to get scarecrows up before judging, which happens on Saturday. Everyone's welcome to come along and look at all the various scarecrows that are in LEP Village at the moment. But please note that all the indoor events are cancelled due to a rise in COVID cases. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. And we're going to Kinsale Guard the station where I'm joined by Garda Lisa. Excuse me. Garda Lisa Hannigan for this week's Garda File. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. You, you want to start with criminal damage, and this happened in Rathmore. That's correct. So it's Guardian Mill Street are investigating this incident, um, a criminal damage incident at a private house. Now, this occurred on the 3rd of October 21, which was a Sunday evening. And it is quite a time ago, but I suppose it was a very frightening incident for the people involved in that um, the cars outside their house, the tyres were slashed and they had rocks thrown at the windows of their house. And one rock actually broke a window of the sitting room. Um, but there is witnesses in this incident. Um, witnesses had, had noted that two males dressed in black were seen in the vicinity of the house around the time of the incident and also a maroon car was seen in the area. So that was the 3rd of October. It's a Sunday evening at approximately 7pm. Um, if you were in that area in Ratmore, a maroon car with two males dressed in black. It might be something that stands out in your mind. Mm-hmm. Very bizarre incident, wasn't it? Absolutely. Very frightening. Um, yeah, the two yeah. children were in that sitting room um, who had just left the sitting room before that incident, um, before that window was broken. So Dreadful. very, very frightening. Dreadful. Okay, vacant properties entered. That's right. So... Um, Two different incidents here. Um, on the, between the 16th and the 19th of October, a mobile home was entered in Kilbritton. Now, this mobile home was left unlocked, gave easy access, and items were taken. Um, and another incident, a vacant house in Temple Martin, which is abandoned, was broken into. Um, damage was caused to gain entry to this house, um, and evidence would suggest the property was being used regularly. So, I mean, there's advice on if you have a vacant property, if you own a vacant property, um, just to keep it secure. I mean, having somebody attend the property on occasions, be it daily or once a week, would improve on the security. You know, it allows you to check for any attempted break-ins as such. Um, and something I mention, I, I would say any time on, I'm on the show here, Patricia, is security cameras. Uh, an excellent way to protect a vacant property or any property. Um, and many when, you're these, not, when you're not there. Yeah, and, many, and the mobile home, it needs to be locked. Absolutely, yeah. yeah it's a very simple thing there you know, makes it harder for anyone to get in there. It's a simple thing to do to ensure that your vacant properties, if you're not there, just have it secure and locked up. Okay, now you've had a large amount of fraud incidents reported in the past two weeks. That's right. I suppose the trend in fraud incidents is significantly risen regardless. But, um, you know, we would ask people to be very mindful of any online transactions they are making. You know, if you're not so tech savvy or you're unsure about any emails or texts, 
you know, just start to correspond and maybe go to a trusted friend or a family member or go into your local Garda station. Um, you know, some of the examples of incidents reported to us over the last few weeks, you know, one male received a phone call saying that his account was compromised and he needed to transfer his money to secure it. And this man became very suspicious of the call. He asked for proof that it was genuine and he was sent a text message from the fraudsters purporting to be from the bank in question, which he then believed to be legitimate. What I would say is the bank will never ask you to transfer any of your money. You know, if you receive calls from your bank asking for details, asking you to do that, just attend your bank, uh, attend the bank in person and they can confirm um, if this is a legitimate or genuine call. Um, Another thing as well is people are receiving text messages saying there are packages to be delivered and to follow links in order to to receive your package. And it would just be a reminder that no one should click on any of these links. If you are waiting for a package and you believe a text to be genuine, you should go to the official website. You can then, you know, go to the official website where you made the order. You should be able to track your parcel Mm. to them. Yeah, and if it is a courier company, find a number that you know is genuine, not the number that yeah. comes in comes in on a link. And it's the same with the bank. If the, if there's a telephone number on it, don't go on the number that they give you. Find a number that you actually trust Absolutely. and know, and know, know yeah. it to be. Yeah, in these circumstances, you know, the rates of fraud and deception are so high. Fraudsters are operating at such a professional level that if you're in any doubt, you know, come into your guard station, you know, just don't engage. Look for the official numbers and talk to somebody, you know, from the number you find yourself. Yeah, and it's the speed at which they can empty somebody's bank account that is really, really frightening. Absolutely. Now, today is a busy day, as oh, every day is for Angarda Shikona, but it's National Slowdown Day. That's correct. I think there's been a bit of media attention around this, and I think you mentioned it yourself, but National Slowdown Day operating until 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. Um, so sadly, there has been 114 people who have died on Irish roads so far this year, um, and almost four out of five of those occurred on rural roads. So in light of this, there will be speed checks carried out at many additional locations, and rural, rural roads will be targeted. So I would just urge all drivers to take heed of the campaign, um, especially coming up to a bank holiday weekend. As usual, expected that there will be additional traffic on the road. And just mentioning the bank holiday, just over the past five October bank holiday weekends, five people have died and 59 were seriously injured in road collisions. Um, And the statistics would say slower speeds contribute directly to higher survival rates and collisions. So just ask and encourage all drivers to support this slowdown. Yeah, we want everybody to have a nice weekend, but you want everyone to to come home uh, safe. Now, we've been, we were talking, you mentioned the fraud that's going on and this, uh, for the month of October, it is European Cyber Security Month. But one thing that we don't often focus on 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 the programme and it's worth talking about today is something called a money mule. That's right. So talk to us about what is money muling. So money muling, um, money mules are people who allow their bank accounts to be used by criminals. So essentially a money mule is a person allowing illegally obtained money go between different accounts via their own account. So what's important to say, so if a money mule, even if a money mule is not involved in the crime or they're unaware of the crime which generates the money, they are still laundering proceeds of crime through their own bank account. And unfortunately, Unknowing or not, if you're caught acting as a money mule, you're still, you can still face prosecution. And how are they recruited? So typically money mules would be recu- recruited through social media, normally in what appears to be a very friendly approach by criminals offering easy money. 
So in a lot of cases, money mules will believe that they're genuinely employed to process transfers of money from one account to another, or they're, they're told they're employed to process refunds, but they will be using their own bank account. So the, the, the nature of the work, the companies, are, a.k.a. the criminals, um, they will employ you, will entail using your own bank account to move money. And I would just be warning people not to accept any offers of people asking you to use your own bank account to move any, any money. If you get suspicious. A real, uh, a real company would not be asking you to do And that. generally speaking, Lisa, who do they target to become a money mule? So normally um, newcomers to the country country would, would be targeted and, and usually as soon after their arrival. Um, unemployed people, students, people in economic distress would be kind of, would be targeted. Um, again, it's through social media, a lot of people are targeted through this and you know, um, a message would come from fake accounts on Facebook, people who would seem like genuine people offering people money for work. Uh, teenagers are particularly at risk and are often unaware of the nature of the activity that they're undertaking. Again, recruited through social media or word of mouth, it's a get, get rich quick, fake job advertisements. So, you know, parents and guardians, you know, if you're, if you're worried that you have a teenager in the house, just be on the lookout for signs your child might have extra money or becoming secretive or stressed out, you know, and other red flags would would include, you know, increased spending on new clothes or technologies with no explanation as to how they have that money. Okay, and how do you suggest protecting yourself from becoming a money mule? Well, I would say that, like always I've said, if the opportunity sounds too good to be true, it probably is, you know. So be very cautious of any unsolicited emails or approaches over social media promising any opportunities to make money. You know, if you are approached by somebody, do some research you can verify your company, verify the company that makes you a job offer. You can check their contact details, check the email addresses and website if they are correct. Um, you know, be very, spe- be especially wary of job offers from people or companies overseas. As it would normally be harder for you to find out if they are legitimate. And just in terms of if they're asking for your bank account and details like that straight away, I would be very, very um, wary of them. And, you know, I would never give my bank account, never give your bank account personal details to anyone unless you, no one trusts them. Yeah, and there are huge consequences. There is, yeah. Um, as I said, you know, you can be convicted even if you are unaware, if you think you are operating on, in a legitimate company. Um, there are consequences, you know, you can be prosecuted. So as well as having a criminal record, money mules money who are caught can have their bank accounts closed or frozen. They will have a lot of difficulty opening other accounts and for the future then accessing loans or other credit facilities can be a major problem. Okay, all right, uh, we leave it there. Uh, stay safe is the, is the message all around, be it from Money Mules or on the roads uh, this weekend. Listen, Lisa, it's always a pleasure to talk thank, to you. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you for thank that. You. Bye-bye. And thanks for joining us. That is Garda, Lisa Harrington, based at uh, Kinsale Garda Station. If you've got a pet question for uh, our resident vet, Jane Pickett, can you get those into us, please? 1850 uh, Pet questions, or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 can I just do a quick rundown through so many texts and calls coming in today fortunately we won't get to all of them but I just want to catch up on some of them uh, Michael says uh, Patricia I'm so glad that you had 
George O'Dwyer on from the Hazel Tree in Mallow on area, earlier. He clarified a lot of things and also clarified the most important thing by saying that he will reopen when the time is right, but hopefully that won't that will be next February. I admire him for the stand he is taking, which I think is the correct one. And believe me, he will operate to the letter of the law as far as certs and ID is concerned. He always ran a great ship at the Hazel Tree and he certainly isn't going to change now anybody thinking otherwise will be in for a surprise. That's from Michael. And then a regular listener says, Patricia, I was in tears listening to your piece in the last hour with Brenda talking about the loss of her little son, uh, Fionn. As a student nurse, it's shocking to hear how the HSE has become devoid of compassion and empathy. And kind regards, a regular listener. And no doubt you'll go on to be a great nurse. Good luck in your studies. And someone else then makes puts in an interesting text saying, Patricia, I'm a grandmother who is not really needed at the moment. I'd be available to spend a night a week sitting with children with long-term illnesses to help give a mother a good night's sleep. This is listening to Brenda. Is there any way I could find out if there's anyone around or who I could contact? I wonder if you got on to the Cork Volunteer Centre because they're fantastic at linking people up. If you contacted them and put that offer to them, I, I don't know if such a volunteer job exists but it's such a kind, kind thing uh, to offer. You've got a big heart uh, for sure. And then there was another call, a text in and my apologies that I'm only getting around to this this morning but this is somebody who's in a bit of a pickle at the moment and is looking for well, it's looking for help, but I suppose if we can give advice uh, at all, let's see if we can. Morning, morning. I, I'm wondering if you can help me. I've applied for HAP, you know, the housing assistance uh, payment, but I'm told it will take between four and six weeks to get things sorted out on the landlord's side. My rent is due next week and I'm finding it difficult to come up with the other half of the rent. I'm wondering if you could help me or would you know of anyone that would have a heart and be able to help me out? Now, I've no more detail other than other than that but somebody who is I mean if you've qualified for HAP I wonder can you go to you know that discretionary payment is that is it paid out by the HSE you know when people fall between two stools I know I, I asked John Paul was trying to uh, find out some information uh, for us but is there a discretionary payment that this person can go to because I mean we know we've got a housing crisis at the moment and I wonder if you could you're trying to come up with the rent could you speak with the landlord and explain because I mean once you're in the HAP scheme, I assume it'll all be back paid from the date that the HAP has been agreed. I wonder could you talk to the landlord? But failing that there is there was a discretionary payment when emergencies happen. And to me that sounds to me like it is an emergency is uh, happening. Anyway, if anybody else can offer advice to that uh, lady, uh, please contact us. 1850 I'm told there's a car accident on the Fota Road going into Cove. The road is closed as a result and diversions are in place. The emergency services are at the scene. And Don in Whitechurch has been on to say he found a lady's ring. He says it looks to be a valuable, expensive ring. He found it in the Whitechurch area. Now we're obviously giving no more details because if it's your ring you'll be able to uh, very accurately describe it to us but we do have all of Dan's Don's contact so if you know of anybody who lost a ring, a lady's ring in Whitechurch let us know please 1850 John Paul taking your calls, we are looking for your pet questions please for Jane Pickett our resident vet or you can text her WhatsApp 0862 Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 3103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. After the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett joins me. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And um, we've had a few calls in already, which happens every year, uh, certainly from people who are in the Mallow and McCroom areas in particular this morning, saying fireworks are going off and advice around animals. Because I saw the Dogs Trust actually came out this week, reminding owners that research shows 25% of dogs can take more than 24 hours to recover from a firework explosion or the noise going off. Yeah, it is really, truly astounding. Some of them can be incredibly fearful of the loud bang and the firework and the vibration. And I think a lot of people, when they're setting off fireworks without warning, don't realise the impact on, that they're having on all of the animals in the locality. So it can take quite a while for pets to calm down after the loud bangs. And a lot of that is just associated with the fear that they don't know that the fireworks are over and that the next morning everything's normal again and it's unlikely to happen in daylight. They're just anticipating vibrations and big bangs at unexpected intervals. So it takes a little while for them to feel more comfortable and secure again. I think a word of warning is, given that they are going off a little bit earlier this year than usual, um, and there are reports of fireworks quite frequently, it's probably best at this stage to try and keep your pets indoors after dark if you can and kind of if they need to go out for their peas and poos after dark to accompany them on a lead. That way they're secure and safe so that if an unexpected bang does happen, they're either on a lead outside with you doing their peas and poos or they're safely inside in the house so they can't get startled and run off and get lost because that's something that we hear quite a lot happening within this kind of stormy season and in the fireworks season and it's really heartbreaking. Good things that you can do inside the house is to maybe build a little bit of a den. So find it the quietest room in the house, maybe one with a lot of soft furnishings because that tends to absorb the noise a little bit better. Make them a little den either in their crate or a little bed in a cosy corner. 
put on the radio um, and just have it nice and low, very relaxed. And I think a really important thing is try not to show the pets that you're anxious yourself. I know we're all really, really worried about them in that circumstance. And obviously we want them to be as comfortable as possible. But the best thing you can do as an owner is give them somewhere quiet to rest, make sure they're secure and try and pretend everything is totally normal because they really feed off our kind of emotions and our responses. And if we appear anxious, even if we're only anxious for them, in their own minds, they'll go, oh, well, my mum or dad is really anxious, so there must really be something to worry about, so I'll get even more worried. So really, the best thing you can do is try and make sure everything is as normal as possible, be nice and relaxed and comfort them when they're stressed. Okay, and microchipping. And microchipping. So important, just in case that the worst, just in case the worst uh, does happen. Okay. Uh, morning, Patricia. Could you ask Jane? We have recently got a new kitten. She's scaring the two older cats. Any advice, please, on how they can become friends? Ah, uh, okay. This will probably happen slowly over time. Cats are interesting creatures. By nature, they are actually quite solitary. Multi-cat households, which is essentially anything more than one cat living on their own, can be tricky situations. A lot of the time, they kind of function very harmoniously. The cats kind of find their own little balance of power within the household and kind of become friends on their own terms. Sometimes it's not so harmonious to begin with, particularly if there's a cat introduced at quite a different age. It's kind of like having a toddler in amongst adults. They all have very different needs, different priorities. The toddler probably wants to play. The adults probably want to sit down and have a bit of a relax. So they're immediately kind of at odds. The best thing you can do in this situation is make sure that they don't have to compete for resources. So a resource is anything from a litter tray to food and water and even your attention. So make sure they all have their own copy of everything. So their own food, water, litter tray and some attention time with you. And that ideally they're out of sight of each other. So they eat in separate rooms and drink in separate rooms. That will be the best way to settle things down quickly. And additionally, if you can just make sure that the two older cats that have kind of settled into their own ways have plenty of time and space away from the kittens. So maybe if the kitten has a few quiet hours in the day so that the the older cats can relax and enjoy their usual lifestyle, it'll probably smooth things over. But it will be time, consistency and just making sure that they don't have to compete for resources. They will eventually get on. They might love each other, but they will eventually get on. (laughs) Mary has a five-year-old be, it says bit, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's Bijan Freeze. It's just with the spell check, the way it comes out. Now, he uh, who has always done a little wee to mark his territory. But then in the last while, when he looks to go out to go to the toilet, if he's not left out straight away, he does a little wee on the way out. Is he trying to be the boss or is there a health issue, says Mary? Mm-hmm. Like this he can't hold on one. to it. Potentially, he might not be able to hold on to it. I think scent marking in male, particularly male and tired dogs, so male uncastrated dogs, is really common. It's been quite a natural behaviour. It can be quite inconvenient for us humans that have to live with it sometimes, but it is part of their natural behaviour. It sounds like this is a change for your pet, however, and in five years, you know, all of these normal behaviours would usually be developed, so any change from there on in is usually reflective of either a change in environment or a health-related issue. I would say that this little guy warrants a trip to the vet, and one really helpful thing that you can do before you even visit the vet is once you have your appointment booked, try and collect a little pee sample to take in with you to the vet. Now, if you can't do that, your vet will be able to talk you through how to do it after the appointment. But it is really, really helpful, particularly when we're ever concerned about urinary or pee issues. So if it is that maybe he's got a bladder infection or let's say he is not concentrating down his pee as, as well as he used to, 
we'll be able to get early indications of that from a little pea sample you can take at home. And my top tips for doing that in a male dog, take them out into the garden on a lead and wait until they cock their leg. As soon as they started peeing, collect a little bit of urine, usually into quite a flat container. Don't try and be catching it into something with a small neck on it, like a little bottle. Best thing to use is an old takeaway container or a clean lunchbox. And that way you can either bring that to the vet as it is, or you can decant it into a little pot. It just gives you a much bigger target area um, to be dealing with. So increases your chances of success. But I think this little guy should visit the vet for a full health check and a urine sample and other investigations to be guided by your own vet once they Yeah, see. so it's, it's like bringing a urine sample with you to the doctors if you've got yeah. any kind of a kidney infection or urinary exactly. tract infection. Okay, Kath wants to know, can I give Vermox worm dose? It's one for children. Can you give that to a dog or are they com- two completely different products, the ones for animals oh, versus I, the ones I'm, for humans? Yeah, generally I would exercise extreme caution and avoid if at all possible using human products in pets a lot of the products that we would have as health products for humans can actually be dangerous if not toxic poisonous and fatal to dogs and or cats we have very different physiologies for the way our bodies work and break down drugs is very different between humans and even between dogs and cats which means that the things that are safe to use in us are not necessarily safe to use in dogs and cats so this is something that's best avoided the best thing to do would be to visit your vet and get them to advise you on what worming treatment would be appropriate for them. Um, and they'll be able to find you a safe and effective product. And usually the safe and effective products are available either from vets themselves or pharmacists because it means that we have access to being able to sell different types of drugs that we know are well tested and we know they're safe and effective. So that's definitely the best protocol. And a dog does need to be warmed. So well done, Kat. Oh, yeah. OK, listen, we leave it there. Have a great week and we'll chat to you next uh, Thursday, Jane. Thanks you for too. that. Thank That's you. Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And a listener wants to know, uh, is there anybody collecting, you know, the shoebox appeals? Does uh, anybody know where they are being collected in the Bantry and Skibbereen areas? If you can let us know. Bantry and Skibbereen shoebox appeals. That's where I leave it for today. Thanks to John Paul. Nick with you. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. Work today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.